Ephesians chapter 4, verses uh, 17 through 24. We're kind of in between series here today and, and Easter. And so uh, I just want to share a passage uh, of Scripture that has meant uh, much to me. And uh, I know it will to you as well. Let me just read it to you at first. And so just to follow along as I read to you from Ephesians chapter 4. It says this, So this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you, but you did not learn Christ in this way, if indeed you have heard Him and have been taught in Him, just as truth is in Jesus. Then in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Amen? Recently, uh, in my family, my uh, father-in-law, mother-in-law, they celebrated their, their 50th anniversary. That's, a, that's an amazing occasion to, to celebrate. And so one of the gifts that we as a family were going to give to them is that we were all going to get together and we were going to have our, our pictures taken together. And so we did that. All right, we did that for them, and one of the pictures that uh, came out of it, I just want to share with you, and I know Elizabeth's shaking her head right now, but I want to share this picture with you, I thought it was a fun one. Isn't that awesome? That's the Reynolds family right there, okay? And it feels that way. I mean, sometimes it's great, you know, but sometimes I feel like I'm holding kids upside down, Okay? It's just, just the reality of what it is. Um, let me explain this a little further. Because uh, I, I think sometimes God gives us children because He wants us to know what He goes through with us, right? <laughs> Amen? Let me, let me explain one situation in my family. I don't know, how many of you here, their kids ever forget whose family they're in? <laughs> Come on. Am I the only one? Anyone here that their kids forget whose family they belong to? All right? Let, let, me, let me explain it. Let me explain what I mean to you. Uh, I coach basketball again this season, and uh, I love it. You know, it's just a, one of those ways that I can still, you know, use some of my competitive juices. Unfortunately, my wife's there to tell me when I get too competitive. You know, she does these these numbers with me. Matt, you know, puts that hand on my, my knee or something like that. But uh, this one occasion, we, we, we would all load up, we get in the SUV, and we all go off to Madeline's game together. Well, I noticed a couple of my young, my young pups, that they decided they wanted to take basketballs to the Woodway Family Center with them. And I said, I said no, we're, we're not going to do that. Just, just leave the balls here, okay? And I explained my logic to them. And so I did that. And well, a, a few games later, it might have been even the next game, I noticed here they come again. They're coming out with these balls, and they've already gotten in the back seat of the car. And like, whenever do they do that? All right, so they knew what they were doing. And they got these balls back in, and I spotted them. I said, hey, no, we're, we're not taking the balls to the game. And I explained my logic to them. And then they said, but, Dad, come on, can't we take it? No. I said, no, we can't do that. And then they said this, 
But dad, the so-and-so's family, they do it. But dad, so-and-so's family, they, they take balls to the game. And guess what I said to him? Come on, tell me what I say. <laughs> exactly. I said, that's not our family. We're not doing it. We're not taking balls to the game because I know you two. All right? I know you guys want to run out there during the timeouts. You want to shoot balls. You want to dribble along the side. But guess what? We're not doing it. Okay? Because I knew what would happen. All right, what happens? They dribble off a foot. In the middle of the game, the ball goes out, rolls out there. Then they look over and say, whose kids are these? All right? So-and-so's family. Thank you. Preach it, Gordon. Thank you for helping me out. So I said, we're not doing it. We're the Reynolds family, and this is how we do it. But, Dad, and I said, but no, we're not doing it. The Reynolds family do not take basketballs to the game. So where are you going with this? I don't know about you, but spiritually speaking, there's times in my life, in my attitudes, and in my actions, I forget whose family I am in. I forget whose spiritual family that I belong to. And when we open up a book like Ephesians, Ephesians tells us that we who were once dead in our sins and our trespasses, we've been made alive together in Christ. That is, those of us who have been placed our faith and trust in the person and the work of Jesus Christ by His grace through faith, we've been changed. It actually says we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which He has ordained beforehand for us to do. It is actually even spoken here in Ephesians. It tells us that we are members of the household of God. We are in His family. His, his Spirit literally now dwells in us. We're, we're the body of Christ, He refers to us as. We're the church. He actually even calls us saints. By the way, I know we don't feel like saints. But the reality of who we are and what Christ has done for us, we're saints. If you know Christ is your Savior, say, I'm a saint. No, no, you got to say it like you believe it. I'm a saint. You are. It's not anything you've done. It's what Christ has done in you. Matter of fact, it's because that you and I are in Jesus Christ. In Christ Jesus, a phrase which is often repeated in the book of Ephesians. That is, you and I have a new identity, a new spiritual reality. We have a new family. Part of Christ in his body. And as a result of that, we do things differently. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that we are new creatures in Christ. The old things have passed away. The new things have come. That is, we have, we have gone away from the old ways. We have new plans. We have new purposes. We have new causes that we live our lives for. And our passage today that we're going to look at is a powerful passage Because I don't know about you, I've often wondered, how do I live out this new identity in Christ? How do I do it? And it lays it out for us. And our passage today is going to show us the command, and it's going to show us how to live out this new identity in Christ. But let's let's pick it up in in verse 17. 
And let's see where he's coming from and, and look at the command, first of all, to not walk as unbelievers. He says, so this I say, that is, in reference to everything he has just said, particularly in Ephesians chapter 4, a passage I preached on a few weeks ago, about a month ago, that is, the reality that you are to be equipped to serve, the reality that you are to uh, grow up in the fullness of Christ. Matter of fact, that the reality that all of us in the body of Christ, that as we are equipped, as we are called to serve, as we minister to each other, you and I together to be growing up into the fullness of Christ. We're to be walking more and more like Christ. He says, in view of all this, he says, I say this and I affirm together with the Lord. In essence, the, the strength behind this is that Paul is saying, hey, I want you to listen up to what I'm about to say. I say this and I affirm this together with the Lord. Remember, it's, it's, it's a matter of grave importance. Listen to what I'm going to tell you right now. It's important. Then he says this, that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their minds. He says, in view of all that we've just said, no longer walk as the Gentiles walk. And what he's saying is he had referred to earlier in Ephesians 2, he referred to uh, these believers here as being once Gentiles in the flesh. But their position has changed. They're no longer just, men, just merely Gentiles in their flesh. Because now they have a new spiritual reality. And he says, in essence, don't walk any longer like those unbelievers. Now, the city of uh, Ephesus was uh, particularly known to be a sinful place. The city was marked by being full of temple prostitutes. It was full of corruption. It was, it was full of crime. It was full of immorality and idolatry. And, and every conceivable sin abounded in this city. And I stopped and thought about it. And it's like, that's not much different than the cities we live in today. But many of these believers were, were sa- saved out of this lifestyle of an unbeliever. And what we're about to see here. And no doubt they, they felt the temptation to be, be called back to that. Maybe some of them were struggling with it and were actually still living with some of these patterns as they had as an unbeliever. And what, what Paul is doing here is doing what I don't know about you, but I need people to do often in my life is they need to call me out. They need to call me out. I can't tell you how many times they had to call me out and say, Matt, I love you, but what you're doing is not in line with who you are in Christ. Stop it. That's not you. That's not who Christ saved you to be. Come out of that. And Paul, he goes on here to say, hey, let me give you some reasons why. Let me say, say why you don't want to go back. You don't want to continue to live in these ways as, a, as an unbeliever. The first is this, don't walk as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind. What he's talking about here is the essence that that is their way of thinking, that is their way of life ultimately leads to things that are of, in the big scheme of eternal things are useless. They are unproductive as concerning the eternal purposes of God. The things they live their life for. It's futile in God's ultimate plan. 
Then he he describes why. In verse 18, he begins to give the general condition of the unbeliever and the direction of life without Christ. And he says, first of all, he says, being darkened in their understanding. That is, whereas believers have been given the lights of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that have been given spiritual wisdom, our minds have been illuminated to, to truths. The unbeliever's mind is darkened in understanding. As a result of that, they've been excluded from the life of God. That is why you and I as believers, we have been brought into union with the person of Jesus Christ. We have relationship with him. The unbeliever is still excluded from the life of God. And this is because of the ignorance that is in them. And, and this is not to say that unbelievers aren't smart or, or they don't lack or they lack intelligence. It's that they, 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 they haven't lost that. They're, just, they're smart, they're intelligent, they think those things, but they lack spiritual perception. They don't have the spiritual perception that God has given us. And because of the hardness of their hearts, this is why. It's this, it is that they've, they've chosen to rebel or to, to not respond to the truth of God. And this rebellion, as a result, is that they've, they've become callous. Have you ever tried to sometimes share truth with unbelievers and it, it, it goes nowhere? And they actually just look at you like, why do you do what you do? I understand that. It's because their heart is callous. It's not sensitive to the things of God and the spiritual things. And they have given themselves over to sensuality. That is, they've just given themselves over to concern without the consequences of their actions. For the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. That is, there's, there's no satisfaction in what they do. So they go after more and more and more. And it doesn't satisfy. Because the reality is the only thing that truly satisfies is a relationship with God. That's the general direction. And, and Paul's reminded of saying, this, this is life without Christ. Don't go back to that. Matter of fact, he says, but you, you did not learn Christ in that way. The but you is emphatic in the Greek. He says, but you, believers, you didn't learn Christ this way. That is, when you came to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you didn't just pray a prayer. You just didn't walk an aisle, but you put your faith and trust in the person of Jesus Christ, that he died on the cross for your sins, he was buried, and he rose again. You put your faith in not a plan, but a person. And not only that, but as you put your faith and trust in that person, you learned that was just the beginning. That he just didn't save you to go do whatever you want, but he saved you for a purpose. He saved you that you would be his workmanship to accomplish those works which he has ordained for you. He's got works for you to accomplish. He's got a new life that he wants to live in you. But you didn't learn Christ that way. One of the guys that I spend time with, a friend of mine, we were spending time together and he recently was just sharing with me a a, a situation that he found himself in. And he was actually helping someone move in, and uh, they were having trying to find the water to turn the water on in, in the house. Uh, and I, he went out to the water heater, and he noticed up there, there's the place to turn the water. And so he steps up on this thing here, and he, he gets up on top, and he looks over on top of the, the water heater. 
And on top, he finds a stack of, of videos. And they were pornographic videos. And he's telling me this story. And he stops and he's looking at them and thinking what to do. And, and he turns and as he's telling me this story, he says, Matt, back in my military days, I'd have watched those things. I did watch those things. And so I'm hanging on the edge of my seat here, and I says, well, what did you do? What did you do? He says, well, I took them off. He says, I didn't want anyone else to find them. I didn't want those who were living and moving this house to find them. I walked out to my car. I opened my back trunk. I put them in my trunk. Then when I got done there, I drove. I found the first dumpster, and I dumped them in the dumpster. And my thought was, there's a guy who get it. Because he, you know why he did that? Why he once did that in his military days, but why he doesn't do it now? Because he didn't learn Christ in that way. He learned that my life is different now in Christ. And that stuff is not the way I learn Christ. I respond differently. Paul goes on to say here, and he says, If indeed you have heard him, that is, if you have not only heard the gospel and have been taught in him just as the truth is in Jesus... What Paul is doing is he's assuming, for the sake of argument, that this is true. My question to you is, have you? Have you heard Christ? Have you heard Christ call in your life that you've come to a place to realize that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior? Have you heard that call? Have you put your faith and trust in Christ alone? And if you heard Him, have you learned in Him? As have you grown in the knowledge of what He calls you to? Because if you have, see, you're no longer a Gentile merely in the flesh, and he's got a new plan, he's got new purposes, a new way of life for you to live. See, truth is in Jesus. So what does this mean? What is he talking about? Just as the truth is in Jesus, it's is they've heard these truths here before. And what Paul does here next is he gives us three key moves, I believe, I believe these 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 commands that he'll give us or these these infinitives that he'll give us here are are have force of command in them, but he gives us three key moves in how to live out this life in Christ. And the first is this. We need to get specific about what to put off. Look at the text here. It says in verse 22 that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit. The old self is that, that part of us that, that the way that you were before you came to know Christ. It's those, those old bundles of corrupt and deceitful attitudes and habits and values and actions uh, that used to be mine before I came to know Christ, know Christ. Before Christ called me out of the darkness and into His light, these were the things that dominated my life to varying degrees. And what Paul says here is he says, you need to, you need to put those off. You need to lay those things aside. Why? Well, those things may seem good for a while. They may seem enjoyable. But the text says here that which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of the seed. They, they seem that way. They seem good. They feel good for a while. But the reality is they're being corrupted. Just don't go back to that stuff. Put it off. This word or this principle here of putting off, it's the, 
This means to put aside or lay aside. It's a, it's a very illustrative word. It's actually used in Acts 17, verse 58, of actually taking off physical clothes, taking the clothes off and putting them aside. That, that's the imagery. That's the metaphor that, that he's using here. And so in essence, what he's saying is, he says, in, in line with your new identity and the fact that the presence of God is in you, we, we, can still, we can still wear these clothes that are in accordance with our old life. He's saying, take those off. Take them off. Maybe this will help you guys. I don't know about you, but uh, maybe you can relate to this. Sometimes I go into my closet and I, I pull out a shirt and it, it might be a shirt that I really like. You know, it's just one, man, this is comfortable. You know, I've had it for a long time and it's just one of those shirts you fit on. It's like, oh, this has just always fit me so well. And then I, I walk out in the bathroom and then my wife comes in the door. And she gives me one of these kind of looks. She gives me one of these. You know, you guys know what I'm saying? One of these looks. David, I know you know what I'm saying. All right. And I, and I kind of look at and she, you know, as gracious as Elizabeth is very gracious. And she'll just say something like, Matt, haven't you had that shirt a long time? Didn't, didn't you have that shirt before we got married? And I said, well, no, I had this in college. And then she'll just say something. Matt, I really don't think you should wear that. So I don't. So I take my color-faded shirts and my collars that are frayed, my spaghetti-stained shirt. I even got this one shirt. It's got a hole right here, but I can strategically tuck it. I can strategically tuck it, and I can get away. It looks good. Elizabeth just looks at me like, mm-mm. The reality is you and I need to get specific in our lives sometimes. You and I need to take some of the clothing in our, in our lives that we wear from the old self and we need to hold it up to God's Word and His Holy Spirit. That's what I want to do with you right now. See, it could be very easy for me to just preach this principle, but God wants to change us. And God wants to deal very specifically with me and with you in certain areas in your life. It's not because God is seeking to condemn you, because if you're in Christ, there's no longer any condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But God wants to deal very specific with you and I. I'm with you because he loves us. He wants to change us. He doesn't want us to live in those things that are corruptible and deceptive any longer. He says, I've got better stuff for you. I want you to turn with me to Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 through 9. And we're going we're to do some reflecting together. And, and I, I want you to let the Lord speak to your heart. I heard this illustration in our men's study that we're doing. And, and I, it brought me back to my old days of playing dodgeball. Anyone ever played dodgeball before? I love that game. That was an awesome game. All right? I mean, I was, I was, I mean, I was pretty stealth back then. Okay? I was a lot skinnier than I am now. Okay? And, and I mean, I, I had some moves. That ball would come in. I'd be like this. You know? I'd sometimes I'd go one foot. You couldn't get me, and I would become, a, you know, just, I love that game, all right? It's not a good game to play spiritually, though. I don't know about you, but I know I have. I like to play dodgeball with God sometimes. And God's trying to hone in on me, and he's trying to change something in me because he loves me and he cares for me, and I do this to God. 
Like, oh, that was a close one. I mean, did you hear that message today, hon? That was speaking to me, but I did this and I got out of the way. Don't play that game with God. It's not worth it. Remember, you've got a God who loves you. And he's bringing these things, attention to you, again, not to condemn you, but because he cherishes you and he wants his best for you. Colossians 3 says this, and it says this, it says in verse uh, 5, it says, Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead. And he's going to list some things that, hey, consider yourself dead to this. Yes, these are still things that you need to, to put off. And, and he says the, the first one here is, he says, it is uh, impurity. This is the word pornania. And as I read these things, I want, I want you to ask, say, is this something I wear? Is this something I do? Is this something I'm practicing still? Is this in my closet? Impurity, which is pornania, and you can guess what that means. It's pornography. I know some of y'all are wearing that. And God's calling you out right now because he cherishes you and loves you and he knows that's a bunch of deceit and it will corrupt you. And he's saying, get specific about it. Let me change you with it right now. Then he speaks of impurity. This is just anything that embraces lurid images or speech or deeds of sensual heart or filthy mind. He says, impurity. Then passion. Ask yourself, am I wearing that? Passion is, is basically lust gone loose in the body. That's what it's talking about here. Or evil desire. It's just the thoughts and the desires in your mind. Ask yourself, am I, am I wearing that? Or greed. Greed. Am I greedy? Am I wearing that? Which amounts to idolatry. The reality is that idolatry, and I've been to India, and I've seen people bow down and they worship the things made out of stone and wood and, and offer rice to it. And I'm like, what? It never eats it. Why, why are you offering rice to it? And, and it's real easy for me to get onto that. But you know what? I offer myself to other idols here that aren't made necessarily out of the same way those are made, but anything that takes the place of God in its life, in our lives, is idolatry. And it's just as silly. Do I wear that? Or anger. Look at it as you skip down a little bit there in verse 8. It says anger. Do I wear anger? I mean, I'm not talking about the righteous anger. I mean, do I wear anger? Or wrath. That is anger just taking up another level. It turns into rage. Or malice. That's just an attitude of ill will. Do I, do I wear that? Or slander. Slander is just speaking ill of someone when it's not true. There's not truth in it. Do, do I slander people? Do I wear that? Or obscene talk from your mouth. Do I wear that at work? Am I one thing at church, but when I get to work, do, do I have obscene talk? Then it says, it says, do not lie to one another. Do I wear that? And maybe in Galatians that talks about some things such as these, and I don't maybe it's not on this list, but what is it that God is working in your heart and your life right now, and he's just saying, let me, let me help you put that off. Let me help you take that piece of clothing and take it out of your closet once and for all. Let me help you to keep that off. 
And if God's doing that in your heart, write it down. Or make a mental note. You see, the second thing that he wants to do is not only does he want you to get specific and to put it off, but he wants you to do something with the thinking behind that, as he wants you to constantly renew your thinking. Verse 23 says this, And you be renewed in the spirit of your mind, or in what we might say the attitude of your mind. That is, your mind is important. What you think leads to certain attitudes, and certain attitudes lead to certain actions, and certain actions and attitudes lead to certain habits, and certain habits can make a way of life for you. But it starts in the mind. And so if you want to begin to live out your identity in Christ, you have to begin to change the way that you think. And what governs your thoughts. You constantly, that's the tense here of this, you constantly have to renew your mind. Wrong thinking leads to wrong behavior. So, so how do you do this? How do we do this? I'm going to just suggest three things to you that, that I do. The first is this. Think Christ's thoughts by dwelling in his word. If I want to live out Christ's identity, I've got to think Christ's thoughts. Colossians 3.16 says it this way. It says, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. Literally, that idea of dwell is that God's word ought to make its home in you. That ought to make its home in you. It should, it should be the place where you're always going back to. That you're always coming back to rest for comfort and nourishment. It should be that home that you make in God's word. Recently, uh, one of the things I like to do with, uh, with, with Samuel, and Samuel's six years old now, one of the things I like to do is that uh, when I do my devotions, sometimes I, I purposely do my devotions so my kids can see me. I don't do that all the time. I mean, I need time and quiet, but I, I do it sometimes in front of them. And they particularly know in my room, I'll leave the door open, I'll have my little chair here that I sit in, and they'll see me because I want them to see me that God's Word isn't something I just preach here but something that goes with me in my home. And I remember this one occasion, a couple times recently, Sam and I have had some times where I said, well, you want to come up here and read with me? And I'm trying to think, what does the six-year-old want to hear? And so where do I go? I go judges, all right? Cool. I mean, this is the little boy that every time I comes, he just smacks me in the back, you know, because he's got two sisters. He can't do with that with all day. So he does it with me. And so I said, all right. Let's go to judges because they've got swords, all right, swords being stuck into a king who was so obese that they couldn't get it back out. I mean, that's cool, right? You know what I'm saying? All right, some of you girls are like, what? That's awful. That's awful. Hey, I want God's word in them, all right? All of God's word. And so we've, we've done that. But then just recently, just a couple weeks ago, a few weeks ago, um, he came in and I was reading and he didn't, he just kind of stopped, he kind of stopped and he looked up at me. He looked down. He looked up again at me in the Bible and looked down and looked up again. He said, Dad, have you read all that? <clears throat> I said, yes. He just paused and kind of looked at me again, looked down, looked up again, looked down, looked up again. He says, why are you still reading it? <laughs> now. Parents, that's the God moment that you're waiting for. And I said, Samuel, buddy, that's an awesome question. Let me tell you why. Because your dad, I need to be reminded 
about who my God is, what my God says, and how I should think, how I should act. And so your dad has to go back and he has to read God's word again and again and again. And my prayer is, by the grace of God, that that little boy right there will get that. That he will come to understand, in order for me to live out my identity in Christ, I must think Christ's thoughts to do so. The second thing that I do is I do this. I try to be quick to repent. And when you read the book of Revelations, as you go through there, all those churches have something to put off. And God continually keeps calling, or Christ calls them to repentance. Repentance is simply this. It's a change of mind. I understand genuine repentance to be a change of mind, a rethinking that leads to a change of action. And one of the reasons why so many of us struggle in our lives and we go through what's called a sin-confess, sin-confess, sin-confess cycle is the reality that you and I are not quick to repent. That is, we don't see sin necessarily as God sees it, and therefore we aren't broken by our sin because He's broken by it. And so we get in this sense, well, it's God, I'm sorry. But then we go out again, God, I'm sorry, and we do it again. The reality is, God, we need you to bring us to a place of repentance quickly. And if you're in that spot, here's the answer. Ask God to bring you repentance in your life. Because he's the one that grants it. A third thing that I do is this. I practice the principle of taking thoughts captive. I don't know about you, but I have some thoughts that come into my mind and my thinking. I'm like, where in the world did that come from? If anyone only knew what I just thought, they would think I'm horrible. And I came to realize the reality is I can't help some of the thoughts that come into my mind. But I can't help this. What do I do with the thoughts when they come into my mind? And God's Word tells me to take them captive and make them obedient to Christ. And so instead of taking a thought and saying, let me ponder on that, instead I take that thought captive and I say, is this obedient to you, God? Is this the kind of thought that I should have? And if you've been renewing your mind in His Word, He he lets you know pretty quick whether that attitude or that thought is something you should be thinking. Folks, we need to put off And we need to renew our minds. And then there's a third thing. As our minds are being renewed, we learn to what we need to put off in our attitudes and our actions as well. Verse 24 says this, And put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in the righteousness and the holiness of truth. This word, to put on, is is again, it's it's making this same idea of, of putting on, as we put off the old dispositions, We're to put on, literally the word behind it means to clothe or be clothed with, or literally to sink into garments. That is, as we put things off, as we renew our minds, we're to not, we're we're to put things on. I don't know about you, but a lot of times I often looked at the Christian life as always something I'm, I'm merely rejecting things. I'm merely putting this off. I merely don't do this. I don't do that. And the reality is we're not just called to reject things. We're actually called to replace those things with the things of Christ. Amen? You, you can get a little excited, all right? See, not only are we to put off, we're to put on. How many of you guys ever read that story, uh, The Emperor's New Clothes? That brother had some issues, okay? He got deceived and taken some clothes off. And he didn't put anything back on, did he? The reality is he left himself exposed and he was deceived. And we do that in our Christian life a lot of times. I don't know, I grew up in a church and grew up around some churches. And I can remember that they used to have these youth groups where they would have these bonfires. 
And they say, all right, we're having a bonfire. Everybody bring the rock music, okay? And we're going to burn it tonight, all right? Anyone ever in those churches? Go ahead and admit it, all right? It's all right. And the reality is why some of that needed to be burned, okay? No doubt about that. What I learned is there was a, uh, there was a step that was missing. There was a step that was missing because I watched guys, after burning that, go out the next week and buy the music again. And so there was a point of emphasis. While the fire was all great, and look at that, woo, it's burning up. There would need to be emphasis on what do I renew my mind with? What do I put in its place? Recently, uh, I had a great shopping exposition. I, got, uh, I had gotten a suit, and I hadn't used the suit for two years. And I still had the tags on, so I said, you know what? I'm going to take it back to Joseph A. Banks. It was a gift, and they gave me credit for it. Like $250 credit for it. I said, all right, that's cool. I also had a gift certificate for $75 at Joseph A. Bank that someone had given me. Then get this, get this. They also had a 75% off sale, holiday sale. Dude, I was made. I was made. I got about 10 different shirts, all right, for a low percentage cost there. I didn't, I didn't pay anything, all right? And the beauty of this was, because not long after that, I, I cleaned out my closet. And so I, I took out the, the spaghetti stain stuff. Actually, I think that spaghetti stain might still be in there. You got to help me with that. But I took out these old clothes and these old shirts and we put them out near the garage. And every once in a while I would be walking out to get in my car and some of those shirts were there. And there's times in my life that would have been tempting to go and put that shirt on. Like, oh, that shirt felt so good. And I looked so cool in it in the 90s. Okay. And, and I want to go put it on. But the reality is because I've already made a trip and I had already put new things into my closet to wear, I was like, I don't need that stuff. My shirts I got now are sweet. All right? My point is this. When you're conscious about not only putting off, renewing your mind, and putting something else on, you're less likely to want to go back to that stuff. Because what Christ has given you to clothe you in, it's sweet stuff. And it's so much better than that stuff that is deceptive and corruptive. Put off. Renew your mind. Put on. So so how do you make this practical? What do you do? Let me just show you real quick what I do. Here's what I do in my life. I've got a little chart here. Because I have to have practicality. I just can't walk away from a sermon and say, oh, that was great. How do I apply this? Okay? I have to to write things down. Okay? So one of the ways I do this is an issue I've had in my life is anger with my children. Okay? Anybody else? I, I don't want to be alone. All right? Okay. I did not know, I learned a few years ago, I did not know that you could get in a fight with a four-year-old over Batman pajamas. Okay? And I wanted to take him to the Hall of Justice, and I did. Okay? But God and a gracious wife told me that's not the way you handle it with a four-year-old, Matt. And he is six years old, so I've progressed in this. So. so I had to realize that I need to put down anger. I need to concentrate on what I need to put on in self in place, and it's gentle and self-controlled. I had, to, I had to have some thoughts to renew my mind with, and I, I actually needed to examine my thinking behind this. And here was my thinking behind my impatience with my four-year-old. This is the thought I had. This is my time to rest and relax. In essence, here's where I was. It would be about 8 o'clock or so after... 
and I wanted time for myself. I, there was a show on that I wanted to watch. And he was imposing on my time because of his stinking pajamas, okay? But then God got a hold of my heart and said, you know what, Matt? You do not want to become a father who provokes his children to anger by being impatient with them. You do not want to be a father who exasperates his children by not taking the time to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. As a matter of fact, some of the times I call for you to give instruction to them is not when it's convenient for you. Change your thinking, Matt. Put that off and put this on. That's the way I make it practical. I challenge you guys to take out an index card and work through whatever that specific thing God brought to your heart and mind. Get into God's Word. Say, what do I need to put off? What do I need to put on? What do you say about this? Now, unless I leave you frustrated in the Christian walk, thinking that the Christian walk is just something I do on my own, that we walk through it like this, put off, put on, renew. Unless you think that, let me, let me add something to this that's very important, that's very key to this. We do not put off, we do not renew the mind, we do not put on those things alone. We do not get dressed for the Christian life on our own. Any of you ladies here have watched the show Downton Abbey? Come on, raise your hand, come on, participation, all right. Any of you guys watched it? Thank you. Hey, all right. I, I, the only reason I did, guys, right now, the only reason I did is because I was speaking my wife's love language. That's, that's it, Okay. So three seasons now, I'm still speaking her love language. And man, some, Eddie, you got to help me, man. You got to help me. But in that show, I, I watched, and these, these rich aristocratic guys, they have these guys who come and actually help them get dressed. And they're called, they're called uh, valets. Valets. I was like, what's he saying? What's a valet? And I finally put it together. Oh, valet, valet. That's a, oh, okay. So they had these valets to, that would help them get dressed. So it, they would get their clothes all ready and prepared for them. And at night, they would help them put things off. And in the morning, they wake up all chipper, I guess, and they're there. And they help them put their clothes back on. I was a little uncomfortable with this, okay? I'm sticking to my wife that she can do that. But so they had this person to assist them all the, all the way. And here's my point. You and I have a spiritual valet. You and I have a spiritual valet who will help us renew our minds, who will help us to know what to put off and what to put on. And our spiritual valet is the Holy Spirit. Matter of fact, Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 says this. He says, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. You won't. Remember, he says, here, let me tell you what the fruit of, of the Spirit is. If you, if you let Him get you dressed, it is if you depend upon Him, you rest in Him, you bring Him to bear every time you're trying to put something off, you're trying to renew your mind, you're trying to put on your, if you're asking Him, all right, God, you help me take this action or attitude off. God, you renew me with your thoughts, your mind. If you, you show me exactly what it is I'm supposed to put on, His Holy Spirit will be there. He is with us. We can expect Him to empower us. And here's what he says he'll bring. Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. He'll clothe you with that. 
Grant shared a testimony or a story about Alexander the Great last week. I just want to build on that just a little bit. For those of you who weren't here, Grant told the story about a man who was a drunkard in Alexander the Great's army. Alexander the Great, the great conqueror. And this drunkard was come and he asked the man, what is, what is your name? And the, the soldier turns around and says, my name is Alexander. And he turns and he says, what is your name? It's, it's Alexander. I said, no, what is your name? It is Alexander. And as Grant shared, Alexander, or great, Alexander the Great turned to him and he says, either you change your name or you change your actions. Now, we have a great and gracious God. But fortunately, our great and gracious God doesn't necessarily do it the same way Alexander the Great does. Because, see, what God does in his greatness, he comes and he says, you know what? I've given you that name. By my grace, I've given you a new name. It's called Christian. And you know what? I know you're struggling with living that name out. But because of my grace is abundance, here's what I do. If you'll listen to me in obedient faith, if you'll come to me in prayerful dependence, I'll help you live out that name. My name. I'll help you put things off. I'll help you renew your mind. And I'll help you put on the attitudes and actions of Christ. Oh, folks, he's a great and gracious God. Oh, might you and I live out the life that we have in Christ. Through dependence upon the Holy Spirit, may we put off the old self, renew our minds, and put on the new self. Dear God, we come and we praise you and we thank you. We thank you, God, that you are such a gracious God. That not only did you save us from our sins in an eternity in hell, God, you've also provided us with the tools and the resources and your very presence to enable us to live out this life here and now. Lord, I pray for those who do not yet know you as their Savior. I pray, Lord, that you might bring them to a place where they realize they are sinners in need of a Savior, that they will turn and they will put their faith and trust in the personal work of Christ alone. I pray for my fellow believers that you will help us to come to you, to take your word and actually apply it to our lives so that we might live out lives that glorify you and that will rejoice and rejoice and enjoy the benefits that come from glorifying you as well. In the name of Jesus Christ that I pray. And all God's people said, Amen.